Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Listen, you may feel like your world is broken. You may feel like your world is fractured, a little messed up, and you have failed God in a big way. But can I preach to you this morning and let you know that God has a plan. God has a plan to bring you out of that mess. God has a plan to bring you out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. It may not feel good, but he still has a plan. tell you this morning that God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for this church. I know a lot of times we go through things and it seems like we're all alone, but God's not left us. He's not forsaken us. I rebuke that kind of thinking in the name of Jesus. We're not alone and God's plan is going forward. Clap your hands one more time. great spirit in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I was upstairs kind of going over my notes and just heard such laughter and cheer. And I said, what in the world? That's so, no, it's not uncharacteristic of this church, but I was thinking donuts. (laughs) Somebody said, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. What a great morning already. And uh, we are amped up for the word. Thanks to the sugar uh, the pre-service sugar. Exodus chapter 1, I'll direct your attention to this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Amen. All right, Exodus 1, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Amen. And I just want to talk to us for the next little bit on this title, God has a plan. God has a plan. Would you lay your Bible down and help me pray this morning? We want the Lord's will to be accomplished in this place. Would you lift your voice with us, church? Lord, we love you today. God, we give you praise in this place, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to stand in your presence yet again. God, I pray that your anointing would fall in this house, God. Release it upon your word. Uh, Let it go forth and find good soil this morning. I pray that you prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive it in the name of Jesus. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it all. In your precious, mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Just to kind of catch us all up to speed, um, The book of Exodus is the second book that is found in the Torah. And if you don't know what the Torah is, the Torah is the covenant document and primary revelation of God for the nation of Israel. And although the original audience consisted of the new Jewish nation from the descendants of Abraham who were 
redeemed out of Egyptian slavery by the Exodus, the book is meant to speak to all the children of Abraham, including both Jews and Christians. So we have five books. We have Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and those five books are telling us a singular story. There's one story being told across these five books of the Bible. And if we just kind of pull one out, then we kind of get confused on what is happening. And oftentimes what's going to happen to us in Exodus is we're going to read something that is unbelievably significant. And if we don't know the story, then it will lose some of the weight that it should have for us. And this text that we read this morning is one of those. The first eight verses is one of those because there's this unbelievable moment in the first set of verses that for most of us, we just kind of read through and we don't even realize what we're reading. We don't even realize what is happening. And I have just two points this morning. That's it, just two points. And you're thinking, how are you going to get through that in 40 minutes? Trust me, I'm going to get through it in 40 minutes. I have two points, okay? First point is this, that God is working a good plan. God is working a good plan. The second point is sometimes that plan doesn't work out how we think it should work out. Two points. Exodus 1, I'm going to read it for you again, starting with verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were, how many does your Bible say were there? If you still have it open, there were 70 there. I want you to, everybody say 70. There's going to be a pop quiz later, all right? And I'm going to ask you later, and you're going to get to participate in this sermon. So say it again, 70, 70. There were 70 people, okay? If you just shout 70 when I ask, you'll be fine. There were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and Joseph died, and all his brothers and all the generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. All right, here's what is happening here. We have the people of Israel in Egypt, and we saw that they showed up as 70 people. Now we read in verse 7 that they're growing. The Bible says that they were growing exceedingly strong. Now, what happens is we just kind of read that, and it's, it's kind of just some names that kind of we either gloss over or we stop and we kind of feel sorry for a, come of the, uh, a couple of them. I mean, Gad, really? You named your kid Gad? Gad? Apparently, Joseph was famous. Just name your kids some ridiculous name. Anyways, mere observation. But, you know, with there, we can kind of just gloss over it or go past it. You see, in this text, things that might not jump off the page, but if you knew the story, 
See, God has made some promises, and God is fulfilling those promises, even as we read those seven, eight verses in a way that's kind of staggering, kind of stunning, and yet simultaneously, it's not playing out like anyone would have guessed or maybe even wanted. With that said, we have to kind of talk about the plan of God. And let me, let me start by saying this, that as Christians, we are not deists. Does anybody know what deism is? Deism is a term that is used of an intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries that accepted the existence of a creator on the basis of reason, but rejected the belief in a supernatural deity who interacts with humanity. They believe that there is a God who makes everything that is. You look up to the stars. You see the stars. You see the sun. You see the planets. You see creation. You look all over, and they would say, yes, there is a God who created all of that, but that God is not interested in the affairs of man. That God doesn't intervene in the affairs of man. That God created the automobile and he, he, he created, he started the engine and he just kind of lets it play out. Now, it's really kind of hard to even communicate that this morning because we are so far removed from that because we believe that God is always in our business. Amen? We believe that God is involved. We believe that God is intervening, that he is always actively at work, that he is always in our space. You and I, we go through highs and we go through lows. We have joy, we have pain, and we go through times of suffering. And we believe that all of that, that God is involved. We just believe that God is in our business. Can you say praise the Lord? Now, the deists would say that yet, yet there is this powerful, this amazing God who started. Look how beautiful he is. Look how awesome and majestic he is. Yet he simply doesn't care too much to get involved with the affairs of creation. I want to go on record this morning and say that the God who spoke this world into existence, he didn't stop at creation. He is still very much involved in your life and in my life down to the smallest detail we serve a God who is involved I like the way the book of Acts says it it says for in him we live and move and have our being you've come too late to tell me that God's not interested in the details of my life you've come too late to tell me that God doesn't care about what's going on in your life we serve a God who is involved can you say praise the Lord He's involved in the smallest details of your life. However, I do want us to all kind of be honest with one another this morning. Just being completely transparent with you. There are times where we feel like God isn't involved. And I'm sure we've all experienced those seasons we have lost, we have endured sorrow, we've been confused, 
than trying to figure out how God is good and God is actively working a plan in us. If we're honest, some of us have felt abandoned. Some of us have felt forgotten about. This is a lot of us. Now, I want to give, I, I want you to give yourself a break because if that's how you feel, if that is you, you're in great company. <laughs> and I don't mean the people that are sitting next to you this morning. Don't judge your neighbor and say, see, I told you you were in good company. No, no, I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about the people sitting around you. I'm saying you're in the company of men like Abraham. You're in the company of men like David. You're in the company of, of a man by, uh, by the name of Jeremiah who at one point accused God of tricking him. You're in that company. You see, this is not an uncommon feeling. And here's what I want to show you. I want us to, I want to get into the story because here's what we see happen. Now I'm probably going to cover a lot of information this morning, but I really want you to get the whole story. God creates the world and everything in it. And there is this rhythm that it is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man and he creates woman. And what he says about man and woman is they are naked and they are unashamed. Now we have discussed that before. This has nothing to do with them having no clothes. This has everything to do with the state of their heart. All right? He is saying that they feel no shame and they don't feel like they have to hide anything. All right? Can you imagine with me? I mean, it's like an infant, all right? Infants are not aware, aware of anything that they need to hide or they're not aware of anything that they need to feel shame about. All right? If you've ever changed a diaper, do you know this to be true? All right? The baby's not sitting there going, oh, 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 oh. My goodness, how, how hilarious would that be? It's the complete opposite. All right? There, there's, there's no innocence there that they, ju they just don't care. Now, what's happening is they don't feel like there's anything they need to hide. Yet what the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 is that when sin enters the world, it fractures that. It breaks it. All right? Immediately, shame and hiding become the norm of the human experience. Sin enters and fractures everything that God says was good, including man and woman and the relationship they have with one another. And then there's this pronouncement of judgment. Now, one thing that is amazing to me is that in this pronouncement of judgment, you can still see the grace of God you can still see that God has a plan. In this moment, we get our first glimmer of grace. God has a plan. And did you know that God's plan is for his glory and it's for our joy? Yes. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise 
It's for his glory and it's for our joy. So let's look at the plan. Genesis 3.15, God is cursing man and creation and everything. And Romans 8 says he's subject, subjecting the creation to futility and, and, and to hope. And in this pronouncement of judgment, here's what he says. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise. The actual Hebrew word is crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first shadow of what would come in Jesus Christ in the pronouncement of judgment upon creation. Now, think about the grace of God with me. Here at the pronouncement of judgment, in the midst of rebellion that fractured all that was good, all that was perfect in God's creation, God says, hey, I'm going to get you out of this mess. I'm going to make, listen, you may feel like your world is broken. You may feel like your world is fractured, a little messed up, and you have failed God in a big way. But can I preach to you this morning and let you know that God has a plan. God has a plan to bring you out of that mess. God has a plan to bring you out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. It may not feel good, but he still has a plan. He says, I'm going to get you out of this mess that you're in. God says, I'll make a way. In the pronouncement of judgment, I'm going to get you out of this mess. What's the plan? Well, one will be born of woman, and he will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the first promise that God is going to unwind the brokenness of the world mankind is now living in. Then in Genesis 12, we get a bit more of that picture. Genesis 12 and 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. You see, now you kind of know where I'm headed in the book of Exodus. That is certainly going to be true. But listen to this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has a promise. And here's how the promise is unfolding. He said, hey, I'm going to undo this. I'm going to unwind sin and death and destruction and despair. I'm going to untangle it. I'm going to make all things new. That plan is going to have flesh on it via someone born of a woman. Now, what we know is that's coming through Abram. And this nation that God is going to make out of Abram. Stay with me. This is also interesting, an interesting promise in that God has just made this promise to a really old man and a really old woman. I didn't mean to look at anybody when I said that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> a really old man and a really old woman who is barren. 
has no children. Somebody say, God has a plan. Now, here's what I know. If you're going to be the father of a great nation, you kind of need some sons, right? Okay. I thought I was crazy for a sec. You, you, okay, you get this promise coming in a way that just doesn't make any sense. You have this really old man with a really old wife who has been barren her whole life, and God's going, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. All right? Then, from Genesis 15, we read, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, I don't know if you have a weirdo cousin or not, but that's who we're talking about in the scriptures here when I say Eleazar. And if you don't have a weirdo cousin, you might be the weirdo cousin, all right? Just saying. Abram's like, whoa, 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 God, I'm going I, I, I'm to be a great nation. And when really the heir of my household is Eleazar. Then from there, God begins to remind Abram of his promise. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Here's the promise. You will have a son and out of that son, a great nation will be born. God has a plan. God's plan at this particular moment is so comical that when Abraham goes back and tells Sarah, his wife, what the Lord told him, she laughs. She laughs. He, here's what God wanted. We're going to have sons. We're going to have a son. We're going to be a great nation. And Sarah was laughing. She's like, you crazy, bro. You are crazy. I'm 90. There ain't no kids happening here. All right, here's an important note. When Abraham dies, he dies with one son. One son of promise. How are we going to get a mighty nation from one son? By the way, look at this whole family sometime. Take time to read about it. They are so dysfunctional. This family is absolutely outrageous. They are a train wreck. They are crazy. And yet God has this plan that he is working through them. Abraham dies and he dies clutching these promises that have yet to be fulfilled. You see, the plans of God rarely play out like we think they're going to. Here's what happened. Pop quiz. How many came into Egypt? Seventy. 
follow me. So from one son to 70 in Egypt. And then you get this great sentence. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, 12 chapters later, we get a sense of just how large Israel has grown into. Here's what chapter 12, verse 37 says. It says, and the people of Israel journeyed and there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. We're not counting women and we're not counting children here. We just counted men and there were 600,000 of them. Now, if each one is married, then we're at what? 1.2 million people and it's still not even numbering the children you may say what's going on here Bryce what is happening I'll tell you what's happening God is fulfilling his promise to make them a great nation all right conservative estimates by historians and theologians are that when Israel walks out of Egypt, they walk out between 2.5 and 3.5 million people. What just happened here is we're reading these seven or eight verses in Exodus 1 and 70 people have showed up in Egypt. And now they're growing exceedingly great in strength and power. And you have to understand, this is a pivotal moment when you're reading. We went from one son to 70 coming to Egypt. Now we're at 3.5 million people and growing strong. And if we know the story, we're thinking, all right, here we go. God's got a plan. We're on this. God's going to make a way. Yet no one would have guessed that it would have played out in slavery no one would have guessed that would have played out in oppression and hard labor and being marginalized and used and abused nobody would have guessed it would have played out that way yet the plan of God was continuing to move forward I want to tell you this morning that God has a plan he has a plan for your life he has a plan for this church I know a lot of times we go through things and it seems like we're all alone but God's not left us he's not for forsaken us I rebuke that kind of thinking in the name of Jesus we're not alone and God's plan is going forward clap your hands one more time God has a plan and his plan is perfect and here's where I'm going this morning life is difficult Life is confusing and having a relationship with God, trying to love Jesus in the midst of all of that can get hard, can get confusing. Sometimes we go through seasons where it's hard to believe that God has a plan. It's hard to believe that God is good. It's hard to believe that. And it's like, Bryce, what do we do? Where do we go from here? What's the answer? And here's the answer. Here's what I want to, here's what I want to show you. Here's, here's where I want to help you. The answer to life 
is we must trust God has a plan and his plan is good. Now, here's what I know because being in ministry for a little bit, I, I say that, hey, trust God has a plan and that his plan is good. And it's not like I just say that and people are like, okay, yeah, I get it. That's, that's all I need. Bryce, can you repeat? Okay, so I, I just learned that I'm terminally ill, but tell me again what to do. Just trust God, hey, my spouse is abusive. Tell me exactly what to do. Oh, so my kids aren't living for God. Tell me what I'm supposed to do, Bryce. I'm just supposed to trust God has a plan and that his plan is good. Can you say the sentence again so I can get it down so I can stop being anxious and frustrated and overwhelmed? What am I supposed to do, Bryce? Say it again. Just trust God has a plan and that his plan is good. Here's the deal. We know in our head that that's the right answer. But how does it look to kind of, how does it look like to kind of cultivate that kind of faith that says that God does has a plan and his plan is good and what do I need to do to cling to that word that when I'm going through maybe what the psalmist would say is the valley of the shadow of death. What do I need to do, Bryce, to have that kind of faith that says that God has a plan? And his plan is good. I just have a few things that I want to share with you in the last few minutes that I have here this morning. Something that I think can strengthen our faith in God despite circumstance. Here's the first one. We have to acknowledge our limitations. We got to be honest with ourselves and, uh, and, and truly acknowledge that we are limited. We have to understand that our perspective and God's perspective are so vastly different. I'm only 33 years old and God has always been. I was born in 86, but he had no beginning. He is the beginning. I live in time, but he created time. Can you see with me how our perspectives might be a little bit different? Can you see how God could look at something a little bit differently than Bryce would look at? Where I'll be limited, he is not limited. He is sovereignly leading in ways that are for his glory and for my good that, hear me, that I can't see. There are seasons where they don't feel good to me, but surely at this point in life, I'm looking around the room and, 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 and most of us in here, we have been through the fire and have come out the other side and now look back at those things. And although we wouldn't want to do them again, we're glad that God brought us out and he's changed us and he's molded us for the, the, the greater good to be better. And in that season that we go through those trying times, we're thinking, seriously, God, really? 
Did you, did you, did you not, did you not say, did you not promise, have you, have you not, did you really, why? You know what happens? We become the Israelites. Have you pulled us out of Egypt just to destroy us? We have to acknowledge our limitations. We have to acknowledge that church. And the sooner we do that, the sooner the victory is ours. Because while we are limited, we serve a God who is not limited. We don't know the situation. We just trust, hey, God knows. God knows where I'm at. God knows what I'm going through. I may be limited, but I serve a God who is not. And I want to let you know that's great news. When life isn't about you, that's great news. That is great news. Acknowledge our limitations. And the second thing is we have to know the word. We have to know the word. Here's what I mean by that. As our music comes, suffering, difficulty, loss, should never surprise us. I'm going to say that again. Suffering, difficulty, loss should never surprise the believer. The Bible is filled with it. Unfortunately, what happens is Verses of scripture that have far weightier, deeper, thicker meaning are pulled out and watered down and slammed on a coffee cup. We throw it on a t-shirt and try to sell it for profit. And what happens is we, we kind of dilute it a little bit and we, it kind of loses a little bit of power. We pull things out of context and we can put them on things that were never meant to be tied to get a feeling that we're going to be blessed and we're going to be happy and hard things don't happen to Christians. The Bible doesn't read like that. What did Jesus say in this world? You will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Church, we got to know the word. We got to know the word. When the Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, do we know what that truly means? The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to live in plenty. He has a nice house, he's got money, he's got the boat, he's eating steak for dinner. He, he's living the life. And he says, hey, I've learned I can do that. I've learned I can do that and love the Lord and I've learned to be in want. And then he says, when I'm in prison, I haven't had anything to eat and my body is broken down and bruised. I've learned I can do that too. In fact, I've learned I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The point of Philippians 4.13 isn't that you're going to succeed in Christ. It's that no matter what happens, Christ is there and it'll be enough. Do you see that? 
No matter what life throws at you, I can do all things in Christ. If I'm blessed or not, I can do all things. Our knowledge of the word is so important. Especially when we're going through the wilderness. The suffering we endure has purpose. And hear me today, it's not intended for punishment. Let me help you today. God might say no to you. God might take away from you. But it's not to punish you. He is shaping you into something that will be greater than what you are now. And God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for this church. And I believe we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And lastly, as you stand with me, I'm just trying to help your faith this morning. Acknowledge your limitations. Know the word. And lastly, I want you to remember the cross. If we want to just talk about promises not playing out like anyone thought they were going to, here's Jesus. There he is in scripture cursing the storms and telling them to stop and they do. He's cursing a fig tree and it withers. He tells dead people they're not allowed to be dead and sick people they're not allowed to be sick anymore. God says I've been blind my whole life and Jesus says not today. I mean, this is just Jesus to where there are men and women saying, you are the Messiah. You are here to crush the head of the serpent. It's time. And all of a sudden, he's arrested in the middle of the night. He's stripped, he's beaten, and he's slaughtered. And in so doing, he does crush the head of the serpent. I ask you this morning, what hurdle do you have that the cross does not answer? What are you going through that the cross cannot help? That's why we look to the cross. Because we want to keep looking there. Because it answers and clears all of the issues that we face in life. If you've come in here and you're like, man, Bryce, I'm really guilty of some real terrible things. In fact, I'm really uncomfortable being here because I know if people knew what I did, if people knew I was, I would be judged so harshly. Can I tell you that Christ is here for you and the cross is here for you? There is no sin with more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. It clears all our hurdles. Oh, I've sinned too far. No, 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 the cross is going. No, you haven't. I don't need you. And the cross is saying, oh, you do need me. God has a plan. That's the plan. This is the story of redemption and reconciliation. Church, this is what God is up to. God is working that plan. And you and I are caught up in the middle. 
We are caught up in the plan, whether we are Christian or not, whether we believe or not, as sons and daughters, God sovereignly reigns and rules over our lives. He sends both joy and sorrow to detach our hands from things of his world and gives us what we truly, truly need, himself. God has a plan, every head bow, every eye closed in this place. God's working that plan right here. There's no panic in him. There's no fear. You may be thinking, oh, I got a terrible report from the doctor. I'm, I'm ill. Listen, God is working his plan, not concerned with your illness, not concerned with your anxiety or fear. And he's not concerned about the election or the future of the United States of America. There's just no fear in him all around those things. God has a plan and that plan will come to pass. That plan is good and he's calling on us to just trust him, trust him, trust that he has a plan, trust that he's working it out for your good. Oh, I don't know if I can, Bryce. Okay, well then let's acknowledge that we don't know and he does let's look to the cross and see that he's good and he really cares because he saves and he loves and you're not forgotten God has a plan thank you for listening to the landmark apostolic church podcast You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.